Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Taz. Good morning, Paula. Well, our caller, our uh, guest has not called in yet, but I will start the introduction. Okay. Producer of Conspiracy Con, our friend Brian Hall, has created another outstanding lineup of speakers again this year for his upcoming Conspiracy Con event. Taking place on June 2nd and 3rd, located at the Marriott Hotel in Santa Clara. That's a great place. And one of the most incredible speakers for the event is our guest today, Carrie Cassidy host of her very own weekly radio show on American Freedom Radio. It's on Wednesday nights between 7 and 9 p.m. She's an incredible fine journalist who walks a fine line in bringing the most up-to-date information available in what's making place on and off our planet today. In her outline roundtable forum, she interweaves and with researchers and whistleblowers where ideas, theories, and evidence is shared live. For more information, you can head to her website, www.projectcamelot.org. You are now listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. And for our lucky listeners today, Brian Hall has so graciously gifted us um, three tickets actually to give away for the Conspiracy Con event this year, and Brian has thought of everything to make your two days outstanding at this event. This event has booths, readers, beautiful jewelry, a Saturday evening packed full of entertainment, raffle, beautiful food, and an incredible, <coughs> excuse me, the meal is like um, awesome and what they prepare for you, and it's shared with all the speakers at a round table, uh, please be sure to call after our show. It's over at 12 noon. There are uh, two phone numbers to call in on. Uh, in Santa Clara, it's 408-260-2999. And Santa Cruz area is 831-255-2999. And... Um, our guest, Carrie Cassidy, is an independent documentary filmmaker, writer, director, producer, and co-founder of Project Camelot with Bill Ryan. Carrie, you are definitely on the leading edge compiling facts and, all, and alerting folks to the latest data that is pertinent for every facet of their lives. It is such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. 
and welcome. Oh, Carrie. thank you very much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Carrie, just how did this journey of journalism head in the direction it has for you today? Uh, well, it's kind of a long saga, but it started when I was uh, a filmmaker, and I, I went to UCLA, a short fiction film program. I was selected as a writer-director producer hyphenate, one of their first hyphenates in a competitive program, and I, I did a year program there. Uh, and so, you know, of course, I always wanted to make movies, and I wanted to make sci-fi blockbusters, basically, because I wanted to enlighten enlighten people and change their paradigm, and I felt that, that the, the motion picture was the best way of doing that, and I actually, I still think that. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so I worked in Hollywood for about 20 years in all aspects of production as well as development. Eventually, I started packaging my own potential sci-fi projects and um, writing my own sci-fi screenplays. And eventually, I got the rights to what is called the Wingmakers material. Uh, it's at wingmakers.com for people that aren't familiar with it. And I, uh, I convinced the, the um, James and the webmaster uh, to actually take the project away from a very well-known film company and, and give it to me to try to pitch around Hollywood. Um, and so that's what I did. I pitched it to top producers uh, and development people at places like Ridley Scott's production company, um, Kathleen Kennedy, who worked for Steven Spielberg at the time, and James Cameron and others. And basically what happened was I came up against a kind of a brick wall because although the, the project is, is quite excellent, uh, and actually I heard uh, through back channel Spielberg had already looked at it at one time, and it, it is uh, based on the Ancient Arrow book, which is, I, I believe it's still a free download on that site, at any rate, which was a story, a saga about a, an above top secret um, organization that a, a scientist was part of and he went on the run basically a whistleblower <laughs> and that was uh that that was something that i was doing back then and, and i packaged that project but as i say i didn't get anywhere because even though it was an excellent project i didn't have a track record and i didn't have any clout and i also didn't have access to getting what they say is attachments which basically stars attached so at that point, I got frustrated and decided to pick up a consumer-grade camcorder. I had been doing a tremendous amount of research for my own screenplays on the web, which is how I discovered Wingmakers, and I decided at that time to sort of switch gears and take the camera and go out and start shooting um, interviews with the presenters at UFO conferences. I thought that would be a lark. I thought it would be fun, and I... I surmised that no one else would, had thought of that, <laughs> which I don't think they had, not quite in the same way that I did it. So basically, I went to those conferences. I hung out um, on the breaks. I, I talked with the speakers and eventually got some great interviews. Uh, and some of those interviews are encapsulated in a short that is, or it's available at our old site and actually would be available at, by searching our new site, which we have a new website and we're still getting that into shape, so please be patient with all of that. But at any rate, uh, what happened was I made that short documentary, and at the time I also started to 
you know, branch out. And I was part of a news group that Victor Martinez uh, had, which had a lot of people from the intelligence agencies and military, ex-military, as well as journalists. And one of the people that was on the news group was Bill Ryan, who became sort of the webmaster for what's called the Serpo Project. And that I think it's projectserpo.org is the URL now that they use. Um, at any rate, I decided what, what happened is Bill had volunteered to build a website, and he's English, and he built a pretty good website that was able to chronicle what were volumes of releases that came in the form of emails and then had to be transferred and, and kind of cross-correlated and organized onto a website. So he volunteered and did a great job at that, and uh, so he became kind of known as the, the Project Serpo spokesperson even though he was not, you know, read in on any of the secrets. And um, he, what happened was the releases came from what was basically the DIA, Dependent Intelligence Agency, from some individuals within that agency. And some of the information, or a great deal of it, is, um, is basically disinfo. Some of it is, is true and accurate. So what happened was I saw that Bill was on the news group, and I basically I knew he was speaking at the Laughlin conference that was coming up in the following February, and this was around late November, the prior year, which was 2005. And I wrote to him and basically invited him for an interview when I came to the conference. He um, graciously accepted. But when I went to interview him, it was really pretty funny because he'd just been interviewed by a film crew with all kinds of equipment and lights and, and, and big cameras and, and, and all these people. And I came up to him and said, you know, you have an interview scheduled with, with me. And he was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> and so he kind of put me off and tried to – and so I copped an attitude, which is kind of my attitude. You know, it's kind of – it's famous probably at this point, but – I wasn't going to take any shit, and I, I, I sort of acted like, well, fine, if you don't want to do it or whatever. So then I guess that turned him around, and he, so he did the interview with me. I took him up to my hotel room. It was just me and him. I focused my consumer-grade camcorder on him, and I said, okay, let's go. And I think he was basically kind of flabbergasted that I had nothing else going on. But then we had a very, very good interview, and it just um, – I packaged it and put it on the Internet, and it went viral and became sort of a huge hit, so to speak. And at that point, I had his respect. So then uh, we we ended up to, to be sort of friends, and we kept the correspondence going, and then he invited me to come to England to see the power places such as, you know, Tintagel and um, Stonehenge. And Tintagel is one of the former homes of King Arthur, so I did that on the way back from Egypt where I'd been with Jordan Maxwell and William Henry on a group tour. I was a total unknown at that point, although I did do a short interview with Jordan <laughs> that he won't even let me release, even to this day, which is pretty funny, uh, because I asked him about some, some very cutting-edge stuff back then, and I guess he was feeling relaxed, and he answered me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's now talking more so along those lines, but back in those days, he was really kind of trying to stay away from the alien question, if you want to call it that. At any rate, not to digress, so I did go meet Bill in England. We went to, straight to Tintagel, as I say, the former home of King Arthur, and I had a tremendous amount of past life recall in that place. And 
we also really connected and we decided that we should work together and we also decided to create Project Camelot right then and there. What had happened was Bill had been approached by a person who was uh, somebody who had worked for a defense contractor and had been assigned, and this was to be our Mr. X interview, um, and was assigned to cross-correlate uh, and, and, and put into files and, and, and sort of organize all these uh, mailbags full of information, include, including videotapes and, and email stuff and, and paper and, and so on. He was locked in a vault, and he volunteered at this aerospace company to co- correlate this information. And it had all kinds of information to do with the government's interaction with ETs. And so he had been silent for over 20 years, and he, for some reason, was impressed by the Serpo.org website and contacted Bill and just started the conversation with him. And so when Bill and I connected, we, um, because I was a filmmaker and we, and he was a webmaster, we basically decided to put our two skill sets together, and we both wanted the truth to come out, especially about... Uh, you know, disclosure. In other words, ET, the ET presence here on Earth. And so we decided to create a website. We tr- we named it Project Camelot right then and there. We kind of went through all the machinations in our heads as to how we could have a, a name on pro- on Camelot, but use the Camelot name, but not because we're both inspired by the Camelot Roundtable, in which it was a flat horizontal organization in the in the very early sort of days. And uh, we wanted to use that as our, our inspiration, also the idea for a utopian uh, society, a better future for humanity. So we, um, we wanted to name it Camelot, but Camelot was incredibly prevalent on the web. I had just written a screenplay called Project Moondust, and as I say, had been researching, you know, um, above top secret information from my other prior screenplays and projects. And so I suggested let's do Project Camelot. So we're going to call it Camelot Project or Project Camelot. We searched and found I think both names were available, but we decided we liked Project Camelot best, and so that's how we became Project Camelot. And we launched the website without even kind of thinking about it, and we just did it. We didn't even think twice. We never hesitated. We just decided we're going to interview whistleblowers from Black Projects. Um, and that was it. And Mr. X was our first joint interview. Well, I noticed that uh, you have cheetahs on your website. Is what's the uh, reason behind that? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. We first of all, because I came from Hollywood and had worked in the industry, and I was kind of wanting to sort of uh, I don't know do a one-upmanship on Hollywood, and at that point because we were totally totally Internet-centered, and because what happened is Bill grew up in Africa until he was eight years old. Um, and he, uh, he, therefore, was also trained as a sort of a safari guide. So when we had breaks, we would go to Africa to take a break, and we could do it very cheaply because we didn't have to hire, you know, safaris or do any of that because he, he would just get the two-by-four kind of um, vehicle, and we would just go drive into the into the safari land kind of places. Yeah. We went to, um, to, to to some very cool places. And he kind of knew the ropes and, and knew what to do and, and all of that. So I took my cameras and we would film. <laughs> that was our vacation. 
So anyway, I ended up, we filmed a young cheetah that was making a kill um, out, I think it was in the Ngoro, Ngoro Crater. I think that's where that was shot, if I recall correctly. And, um, and that footage is what became sort of our preliminary intro to all our videos, which everyone's seen probably a million times at this point. And what I was doing was making a play on the MGM lion. And the point was that the cheetah is, is you know, at this point was younger and faster. And the Internet is faster than, you know, TV and movies. In other words, it's, it's kind of a new medium. And then the eye, we focused on the eye of the cheetah because we were very aware of the sur- surveillance economy and uh, what had been going on in terms of them watching us. So we decided that the, the sort of message, subliminal message, was that we were watching them which indeed is the case. So that's how the cheetah became our sort of motto, logo, whatever. Well, speaking of that, have you had any problems with uh, the government or uh, sabotaging you or doing anything like that to your website or (laughs) other things? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, We've had all kinds of interference. I mean, it's, it's almost legendary at this point, but... I do a number, in fact, most recently, of live stream events. And in those events, you will listen, and even during my radio show, and everything will be smooth until I start talking about something controversial that they don't want out there. We are heavily surveilled. I mean, it's true that there is a great deal of surveillance anyway, and we've got whistleblower testimony to that effect. In fact, I can tell you a couple of vignettes in terms of the whistleblowers we met and how they behaved and so on and so forth, which is quite revealing um, along those lines. But uh, to answer the question a little more directly, we had um, one of the incidents, in fact, just recently I was on Coast to Coast, <laughs> the perfect example, and I was asked this exact question. I started to answer it. I was going down that road, and basically they kind of um, interrupted me uh, after I was only on the show 15 minutes and um, cut me off and and hung up on me. And they said it was for sound difficulties, but actually the sound is fine. We even had a sound engineer test the sound. And um, it's it's recorded then on the Internet, and you can listen to it. It's on YouTube, so you can tell that the sound is fine. But what happened was they didn't want what I was saying, I guess, out there, or they got nervous or whatever the hell happened. Maybe they got a call from upstairs saying, get that bitch off the air, whatever it was. But this kind of thing is just par for the course. And prior to that, we'd been told the Coast to Coast wouldn't even have us on because we were, quote, unquote, too much competition. And they probably wouldn't want to kill me for that. But, you know, George is actually a very likable guy. Um, But what goes on behind the scenes the Coast to Coast is uh, quite revealing, let's put it that way, not to get myself in any more trouble than I already am. So, well, that kind of um, that kind of answers a question I've had in the back of my mind for a long time, because they're on, um, you know, Clear Channel is the you know their radio station. I've always wondered how he gets away with some of the stuff being on that channel. Right. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting, and I actually did a presentation recently at the Alchemy Conference, and I'm hoping to get a hold of it and put that for free on my my site. They cut me short as well, <laughs> down to only a half hour there, which is interesting. But I ended up um, really sort of, I don't know if you're, you can swear here, but kicking ass um, because I was on such a, uh, you know, a sort of heightened timeline. 
and and had a lot of fun with that presentation. So I, I really encourage people to see it when I get up uh, up there. But basically, what happens is um, that we have over the years, ever since our inception, and we've been um, in operation for a little over six years at this point. We are no longer a partnership. We were a partnership uh, for the first four years, and then for the last two, a little over two years, I've been running Camelot by myself, and Bill has gone off and done Project Avalon, which is a forum, and once in a while he, he'll do an interview as well. Um, but, and every once in a while, we will do some joint something together, uh, which we, we came back to together to be interviewed, for example, by Mel Fabregas, uh, which was a, a very good interview with the two of us and covers our breakup and, and so on and so forth. So encourage people to go to the Camelot site and and find that. Um, but anyway, to answer your question again, we we did have a, we used to spend a lot of time in Switzerland and other parts of Europe because Bill was, uh, as I say, English and didn't want to. Well, he couldn't spend a long time in America, but he also preferred Europe. So we ended up spending a fair amount of time there, in, especially in the first few years, and. Um, we had our uh, had a this very old car that, that we used to drive around in, which was Bill's car. It was an old Audi station wagon, but it was very dependable, and we had it checked out before it drove to Europe and so on and so forth. And on the way up to Grindelwald, which is uh, you know this winding uh, road in the Alps, um, right when we got to the top uh, and drove into a parking lot, going very very slow, about to park the car, the entire wheel fell off. The car and it, and it was a clean break we took it to a mechanic and um you know it was quite an unusual situation so the the implication there is that had it fallen off let's say 15 minutes earlier when we were coming up the alps windy road it, we probably might have gone over the side i don't really know what could have happened but anyway that was one incident Wow. That was perhaps the most overt in- incident. We had lots of flat tires, um, and we've had, um, it, you know, the Internet, of course, has gone down and been messed with in countless ways, and our website has had what are called denial-of-service attacks on a regular basis. And any time I do anything um, that is, is any kind of event, we get attacked, and, and my webmaster has to deal with it. Um, we've been taken down a few times. Initially, we put all our interviews on YouTube, and they took them all down, like in one fell swoop, like a year after we were in operation, so that all of our hits on our videos, even though they're quite high, they don't even uh, take into effect the first year of operation, which, um, because, like I said, we were wiped off their their channel for some unknown nefarious reason. Um, so those kinds of things happen. We have uh, evidence, ample ev- evidence of phone tapping and all this sort of thing. Um, and I can tell you, you know, I mean, I could kind of sit here all day and tell you vignettes and things like that. But along the lines of surveillance, which is really important, and for people to be up to date on what the surveillance is really like, I suggest that you read Jake Simpson on our website, and you find that under the written reports on the drop-down, and uh, that's because Jake never went before the camera. But the bottom line with that is that he he talks about an AI that is involved in their surveillance, that they're using, I guess, um, some some sort of bizarre type of 
I don't even know how to explain the science at this point. Um, it's it's sort of a signal non-locality using some kind of electronics, um, even maybe even slightly beyond electronics, like because the AI is involved. Anyway, so that's going on. Uh, it, it's sort of a scanning uh, device in which it scans, and there is a. Uh, it also can affect you. In other words, it can be targeted, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a very interesting incident in which we were both talking to Jake Simpson, and we were basically, they tried to put us to sleep. And I left the conversation early on. It was already getting like to one in the morning, but Bill and, and Jake continued to talk uh, later. And what happened is they actually, I guess, knocked them both unconscious temporarily. And then when they came back, when when Bill came to during the conversation, they couldn't remember anything that was said. Um, so that kind of stuff does go on. Now, can they um, actually affect uh, whole populations? Uh, I'm just thinking about a lot of people around me right now. They're saying they're having memory problems. Could that be from something that's going on? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are scalar waves being targeted uh, for mind control on the population and have been for Wow, since uh, I think even since the 50s, from what I understand. And then there's the, in the public record, of course, the MKUltra program. But yes, uh, population control mechanisms and everything related to that has, is, is constant, as well as using your television and your you know, cameras in your television to watch you. Uh, we actually came across some, some more recent information that that uh, goes back into the older technology when you thought maybe they didn't even do that sort of thing back in the, I guess, late 50s and 60s and found out that they were using televisions even then to surveil people in their own houses. So, uh, yeah, this kind of thing is definitely going on. Well, Carrie, you're going to be at the, um, the Conspiracy Con conference, and uh, you're, you're yeah. such a... Uh, that you're going to be talking about is 2012 and beyond, and humanity, get off your knees. And um, uh, tell us... Um, we can barely hear you, Taz. Oh, can really? Okay. Yeah, now you can, can you hear okay. me? You can yeah. hear me better? Okay. Yeah. All right, so your subject um, is, going to, is going to be humanity, get off your knees. And uh, what, what, at this point... Um, what can you what can we anticipate with what you're viewing at this time to take place on the planet? Whoops. Sorry, right, there's Carrie, so much. Uh, yes, I'm I'm here now. Uh sorry about that. I uh I can say I there's I mean there's a tremendous amount of information that I have and it just depends kind of what in, in what direction we want to go. But I'm not sure if you want, are you addressing 2012 at this time? Do you want me to talk about that? Or are you talking about what kind of whistleblower uh, information I'm getting just recently or more general well, that, stuff? Well, that would be interesting, what whistleblower information you've just been getting recently. Okay. Uh, let me say that one of the most fascinating, relatively recent whistleblower testimonies has never been published on our site. <laughs> 
And uh, that that comes from a, a person who contacted me in sort of an unusual way and then proceeded to tell me information that had to do with how the government is working from with uh well with Anunnaki from the fourth dimension to manage the planet and how they are um, using Phobos as a command and control center, how the humans are working with Anunnaki there, um, and they are also monitoring the solar system such that they actually are able to monitor incoming and outgoing crafts so they know who's coming in, where they are at any given time, so on and so forth. Um, there is, uh, Europa is still off base, just as Henry Deacon, our whistleblower, said, and also famous the famous quote from Arthur C. Clarke, um, all worlds are yours except for Europa, if you don't recall that, that quote. Uh, and that's a, a fascinating sort of um, secret, I guess, very, very way above top secret, obviously, and I don't even have the information on that. And the whistleblower that I was in contact with was not able to tell me much more that than there is something going on there and perhaps a certain race of beings that occupies that place and therefore it's off limits. Um, so that that's some of the information that I've, I've got at one point. Now, this particular whistleblower was talking about how certain bases here on this planet are jump rooms, just as Henry Deacon talked about, but specifically jump rooms that are used to go between here and Mars, and that the Mars that they go to is not in this dimension. It's in the fourth dimension. And what happens is that we are moving into the fourth, so there is a bleed through, and I guess consequently maybe this travel that goes on between them and interaction is becoming more and more um, facilitated by the, by, by the move uh by the, by the move of the planet's frequency. But, um, but that was a whole fascinating discussion that I had with this person. And no one across the board, really anywhere, has come up with this information except this individual. Now, what happened after I was in touch with them for a while is one of the times that, you know, a certain time passed, and then I think they contacted me again, only this time... I was able to ascertain that the person on the other end was not my original whistleblower. <laughs> and um, that was because I am very intuitive and secondly because of the way they answered my questions uh, in a very different manner than the first person. And so I became very suspicious. Um, I asked them, I guess you might say, some trick questions or whatever, which they kind of failed. And, uh, and and that was very interesting because what that told me is that the, you know, the calm, as they call it, had been infiltrated. And they were trying to then sort of manipulate me. Um, so anyway, it was very interesting, but I didn't get any new or better information once that whistleblower sort of disappeared and was replaced. Um, why he was replaced, how he was replaced, or any of the, the rest, I don't know. I can tell you that there's an interesting clampdown on whistleblowers in general right now, it seems to me. Um, it, it's been very, very difficult to get good whistleblower testimony. And, uh, and, and I think that that's, uh, that there's sort of, uh, first of all, I think there's an added maybe fence, uh, surveillance fence, whatever you want to call it, maybe even around Camelot, but in general, I think on the, on the planet. 
And the second, by the dark side. And then the second thing is that um, there, there probably is something of a, of a lot of fear in whistleblowers at this time. And it's an interesting dilemma because we expected there to be an onslaught of whistleblowers going towards, you know, in the year 2012, just by virtue of how much is going on. Um, so far, that's just not the case, unfortunately, very unfortunately. There are people out there. I just posted, um, there's this guy named Doug Hagman who, Hagman who says he's got a, a whistleblower inside um, the White House or Pentagon or whatever you want to call it, um, who is revealing some information. But the trouble is a lot of whistleblower testimony has to be very carefully vetted and, um, in, in essence, triangulated with other information. And I, I make several comments on my recent blog post about this particular new uh, supposed whistleblower that this person has, simply because it, it just some of it doesn't doesn't correlate with the information I've got at all, and and that makes it suspicious. So they're in, <laughs> they're implanting whistleblowers to throw you off. Sounds well, like. that happens around the. That happens to everyone. I mean, all always they will. This will happen with channelers. You know, anyone who comes forward into the public and set and sort of professes to have information will ultimately get messed with more than on the usual way. And um, and that has happened also with several of the Camelot whistleblowers from the past, even lately. And that's a whole dynamic that I guess I won't go into on this radio show just because the controversy has gotten too extreme uh, or on that whole story. But suffice to say that um, I'm very aware that the powers that be are targeting our whistleblowers at this time to try to um, sort of disinfo Camelot or take down Camelot or whatever you want to call it. And so a lot of lies and really actually some some very weak efforts are being made in that direction. They're just not very good at it. Maybe because we've been in operation for so long and they can't do much. The information is out there. Um, you know, you watch an interview that we've done, it's two hours of me questioning a, a witness um, with occasional questions from Bill. And it's it's blatantly obvious that it's not edited, that they are able to say exactly what they want to say and answer how they want. Um, in, in the past, most whistleblowers that we have had have become our friends and were friends uh, even during and after filming. So it's a, it's a fascinating dynamic that's gone on and is going on currently. Um, but if you want to know about 2012, what I think about it, uh, actually I am taking a group to Egypt um, between December 10th and the 20th. Well, the 23rd of December, after which people can opt in for a another part of the trip or opt out and go home to spend Christmas with families, and so that's uh, available on my website. You can you can see the Egypt trip. Uh, there's a, a small poster on the right hand side. You can click on and get the itinerary. There's also a Facebook page that you can express your interest in going. And the prices are now up there, and um, we, we've got a lot of details about the various hotels, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all coming together and should be very fascinating. We've got several speakers going to accompany me, um, Michael Tellinger, Miriam Delicato, Rebecca Jernigan, Hugh Newman, and uh, I've asked several others, but I'm still waiting for confirmation. So is this trip so, going to be 
is this trip going to be uh, more informative than any other? Well, I don't know if you can answer this. Any other tours that have gone on? I mean, well, I've been to Egypt uh, like I don't know. I think it's like four times at this point uh, on various tours on all levels, and so I know Egypt pretty well. Uh, feel very comfortable there. Um, in fact, at one point in my life, before Camelot, I was thinking of moving there. <laughs> I, I love Egypt, and I love uh, the. I actually, I love the Arab Arabic language as well. I was trying to learn it, and um, so I think it's it's absolutely the Middle East is a fascinating place and really magical in many many ways, in spite of all the controversy and conflict that goes on there oftentimes, um, or maybe because of it. And uh, and and so yes, it will be an eye-opening tour. I have no doubt about because of the people that are accompanying me. Um, certainly, I will help help to make it that way as, as well. We're going to do a lot of meditation in power places. Um, I kind of know the good places to go now. I know what's what's uh, sort of the best way to approach it, etc. I went went recently also with Carmen Balta. Uh, that was about. Um, that was in 2010, and I did an interview with her overlooking the pyramids, which um, is really fascinating. So if you haven't heard that interview, I encourage you to do so. I have lots of past life recall of, of lives in Egypt, more than one, and um, have had some stunning, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, time travel experiences while I've been there. And even prior to going, I sometimes even um, shift timelines when I'm, when I'm here at times and, and sometimes get into Egypt. Um, so I think travel is ex- is just enlightening in and of itself, but, but when you have people around you that are also sort of all about sort of the higher mind and, and, and getting more information and in, in more radical ways, as well as meditation, et cetera, this fa- facilitates a huge um, sort of a stimulus and awakening, and it's there's also, um, for those of you who do meditate and understand the Kundalini, um, I would say that you know going to power places around the planet uh, can stimulate uh, the linking of the chakras and, and, and samadhi experiences. For people that haven't had that kind of uh, pervasive experience, it's a great trigger to encourage that. So if, if you're sort of meditating every day and you're trying to get, achieve something of that nature, um, I encourage you to go to power places and experience what they have to give. Now, at the same time, you do need to protect yourself. A lot of power places do have infiltration, dark entities, etc. So there's a lot of um, caution that needs to be exercised in these settings. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't go and you shouldn't sort of uh, shine your light as bright as possible. And that's exactly Carrie? what we plan to do. Carrie, let or, me ask you... Um, a couple of people have called in, and you know, since we, I know that you you travel and speak at conferences around the world on subjects about ETs, Illuminati agenda, mind control, the Matrix, prophecies, and many other subjects. But I question, as you're going to these different places, are you finding that people are more awake in um, in understanding that? that we are not alone here on on planet Earth um, and a lot of things that they've tried to hold close and not expose, especially in our in our uh, part of the country, you know, in, 
in around the foreign countries, they seem to be more awake than we are or acknowledge what's going on. But um, how are you seeing this as, uh, when you go out and you have people show up and are you seeing people awake? Are they surprised? What's taking place out there? Uh, well, you know, I actually haven't been going out speaking at places as much outside the U.S., uh, although we did do that for a while a couple of years ago. Uh, I will say that I, I find consciousness equally uh, high in in U.S. as opposed to other countries, strangely enough. It's just that, um, again, you have to understand that Camelot's sort of a beacon, so we attract those kind of people no matter where we go. So if they exist, <laughs> they come, you know, they'll show up. And, uh, for example, my Awake and Aware conference in L.A., it's just, I mean, it's a huge success because people that show up are all extremely awake and um, by nature of, of, I guess, to you know, even if they weren't when they started out, when they came to visit Camelot, they started to get awake, so to speak. That's what our mission is all about. But um, so we do have uh, even people that fly in from other countries, but we have a whole groundswell of, following here in the United States, no doubt about it. I mean, in terms of our, what you call the hits on our site, I mean, we have more people from the U.S. than anywhere in the world. So if that's a testimony to consciousness awakening, then it it certainly seems to be biased on the part of the U.S., but you can understand that has to, you have to account for the the, um, language problem. And and that issue where, where, you know, somebody might only be able to access us through our translations, you know, provide something of a roadblock for people in other countries. But with that said, I can say that, you know, there is a tremendous awakening around the world and that there are people in all countries that are are, are awake and aware and um, just sort of a different dynamic. Now, the thing in the U.S. that people are always extremely frustrated by and puzzled by is not so much how awake they are in certain regards. But when it comes to their own government, this is where there seems to be blinders. (laughs) You know, um, someone just wrote to me, couldn't believe that there wasn't, you know, that Obama wasn't really in charge and that, you know, thinking that there was, it was like a whole thing to do with Democrats and Republicans when in reality that's just a complete fallacy. Um, so, yes, there are Americans that, you know, they might know about E.T., but they, they just don't get the, they don't know how to connect the dot, dots. They don't understand the secret government, the space, you know, the secret space program. And actually, you know, I refer to people to Rich Dolan's book, um, UFOs in the National Security State, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, which are extremely um, thick books but they are a documentation uh, on UFO sightings, uh, well, around the world, but emphasizing the U.S. for the last, I don't know, 50 years or whatever it is. And on top of it, what we discuss, in, in fact, in one of our video conversations with Rich, is the fact that there is a what is, in essence, a rogue civilization, which is made up of the military um, and, of course, you know, intel agencies, et cetera, et cetera. And they are... way above top secret. And this is the Black Projects area. And they are, you know, um, going interstellar. Uh, They are, you know, they have bases on the moon and Mars. This kind of thing is going on. Uh, It's it's also global. The country, you know, sort of um, 
boundaries don't really hold sway uh, so much unless you're talking about the, the surface of Earth, in which then you have the bush cabal in the United States that is sort of trying to wrest power on some level, it seems, from uh, the Rothschilds. Although what goes on at the very, very top is much more likely to be based on the ET ETs that are uh, sort of inhabiting the various humans on the ground, as well as either temporarily or permanently, and as well as the Anunnaki who are trying to con- con- keep control of planet Earth. Do you think, uh, uh, like our President Obama, is he kept in the dark quite a bit? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I believe there's certainly always an effort to keep the president who only occupies office for four four or eight years, in the dark. And therefore, their clearance level is usually fairly low by by black project standards. However, my understanding is that at this day and age, for example, here I am, right? I'm in the public domain talking about this stuff. So if his people are not alerting him to... (laughs) To watch Project Camelot and, and, and you know and, and things of this nature. I mean, we are told by uh, certain individuals that we are watched, for example, in the halls of Pentagon, in the CIA, in NOAA. Um, in other words, we are watched in all of these agencies because there are lots of people who work in block projects who don't have. It's kind of they have a kind of a, a silo mentality, or and they're treated that way. Um, Let's see, uh, I think it's uh, Dan Sherman, one of our whistleblowers, who said they're like mushrooms. They're kept in the dark and fed shit or something. I don't know. This is this is how they treat them is, is basically they don't allow them to have access to connecting the dots. And when, one of our whistleblowers, Henry Deacon, the reason he is such a strong and important whistleblower is because he was more cross, cross-platform. He also worked for various companies. And so he was able to start connecting the dots in ways that other people that work in government programs say they're, um, you know, uh, bio um, technology or or they're creating some virus in a petri dish. I mean, that's all they're thinking about. They're not even thinking about necessarily how it's going to be used. They can be lied to about how it's going to be used. They may think they're working for the good. They may have above top secret. They don't know that they're working for the dark side. They don't know how it will ultimately be used. I mean, this dilemma has been going on for scientists, you know, since day one. So it's it's a fascinating sort of dilemma and scenario that we we're looking at. I'm just, you know, very complex. But bottom line is that if you don't know about the secret space program, which motivates almost everything in the black projects, and the, that basically what is a takeover of Earth, a population elimination program combined with going off-planet and creating Humanity 2.0, which is a, a super race of beings through genetic manipulation, etc. cetera, um, what I call robotic superman versus angelic human, which is allowed, allowing us to develop our, on our own uh, speed here. In other words, this is what's going on, and this is the big agenda and this is what they don't want you to know, and this is what I'm out there talking about, I guess you might say. Carrie, I question, um, you know, you've, uh, this might be a hard question to answer, but I'm going to ask anyhow. <laughs> okay. So you've interviewed so many people, and 
What was, of all the interviews, one interview that was kind of shocking for you? You, you just thought, wow, is that really the truth? Or, I mean, like you just couldn't believe what was going on. Oh, God. Um, you know, this is a hard question because I have to say that, uh, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but on a certain level, I was certainly a contactee, okay? So I was, um, I know that I, I was a typical abductee when I was younger. I have uh, a recurring memories of this, you know, sort of abduction scenario in which uh, there was a man in a in an overcoat standing at the end of a gate, and I would go down this pathway. There would be this loud, loud buzzing, and I had this recurring nightmare over and over again when I was in, you know, say 11 years old. So I grew up with a perception that um, there was definitely other worlds out there. I was very aware of sort of ghosts and entities, other kinds of entities, and so on, and. Um, and, and so on. So I also studied sort of esoteric literature at a young age. And I connected my chakras and, and was very uh, determined to reach, in essence, enlightenment on the planet uh, when I was 21. So for me to be, you know, and then I went down the road later of investigating, well, besides the occult knowledge that I gained through a lot of study intense study and studying also um, Eastern philosophies, I, I started to go down the Black Project road, so to speak, investigating that area of things. And I, I don't know, I had studied so much prior to Camelot that almost nothing has surprised me. And some things I've been very, very well aware of before the whistleblower ever talked about them. And sometimes you can tell that in an interview. And some people think that... Um, I've actually been accused of leading the witness. Uh, and what people don't understand is that because I have knowledge that I came in with, I actually do have a targeted in interview. I, um, what's also interesting is that I have had a lot of prior exposure to the witness before the interview. Many times I'll have dreams about them in which I'm interacting with them, having conversations, et cetera, et cetera. And this happened in the case of several of the early interviews. And so, I'm, you know, that, and that does continue. And so all I can say is I, I am also getting downloads when I'm interviewing. Uh, and I've always been very, I don't know, able to do that. So what can I say? There, there is not a lot that surprised me. Um, actually, I think that this most recent interview, if you want to call it that, or connection with this sort of whistleblower that told me about the orchestration from the fourth dimension, because that was the newest information that I'd heard, no one else had been able to really diagram it out quite in that way. Most people had either, you know, talked about ETs being in other dimensions. Of course, we know that. But they didn't talk about humans and quasi-humans, in other words, the Anunnaki, actually trying to orchestrate the running of the government from there. That's a very interesting dynamic going on. And... Um, and, I, and when, when they told me about that and we talked about that, there was something that just clicked for me. And I have to say that we've only got the tip of the iceberg in that regard. Um, you know, as I say, that person disappeared. But uh, I, I think that there's a lot more going to be revealed and a lot that hasn't been revealed in that regard as to what's really going on, who's really ruling us, how that ruling, so-called ruling is taking place. Um, how important consciousness is in that equation. 
how we're breaking breaking those reins as I speak and yes, what 2012 yes. and beyond has to do with all of that. That's what was going to be my question. Are we uh, creating a problem for them by raising up our consciousness? Absolutely. Uh, the frequency and the energy coming into Earth right now is just phenomenal. And, you know, I think that you have to be sort of partially dead not to feel it. <laughs> so you may be feeling it as uh, positive or negative or both, and it may be disrupting your routines, you know, your sleep patterns, your eating the way you eat. Uh, I know it's it's affecting me in every way. Um, I do know that it, it it's also, I get a, a tremendous positive uh, vibe from what's happening here. Um, some days I, I actually feel... <laughs> I feel like I'm high, higher than a kite. I don't know. You know, it's it's just there is a high in just being alive right now. now I don't mean to sound like Pollyanna over here, but <laughs> it is it is really quite um, quite quite amazing the amount of energy coming in. So that being the case, the dark side is is very stimulated by that as well, and they are also sort of stepping up their efforts to then dampen us down. And you always have to keep in mind that if they work so hard to mess with us, whether it's our food or our water or our chemtrails in the sky, what we breathe, you name it, um, how they take away all our, um, you know, how they're taking away one by one a lot of our rights here in the U.S., uh, you really have to look at that closely. And what you have to say is, my God, what are they so afraid of? That's what it's about. It's about the power that is in each and every human being. And so this is what's very exciting to me. It's kind of like if you watch a movie and you get to this crisis point or whatever, and, you know, everything is heightened at that point. And uh, and so, you know, it, it's exciting to be alive, and I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, the higher each one of us get, we help the others around us become that high. <laughs> Uh, well, yes, it, it's catching. Uh, in, in there is a, a definite. In fact, David Wilcock talks about the you know the scientific documentation behind this. That if you put a person who has a certain kind of vibration into a crowd uh, and a certain what one might be called well, in the most um, sort of in normal language, it might be called a level of influence. That person will then affect the crowd and the mentality of the crowd. Um, I never forgot when I, you know, a long time ago when they talked about the Beatles, they talked about John Lennon and when he would go, you know, travel or go into crowds or whatever, as he did do, um, that it would absolutely stimulate everyone around them. And it was a phenomenon talked about in articles that were written about him in uh, Rolling Stone back in those days. And, um, you know, and, and so this is, the Beatles were very instrumental in uh, raising consciousness in those early days and in the days uh, when they were, well, back in the 60s, uh, you know, when they when they hit the sort of big time. We can call that contact high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to some degree. But, but it's not, you know, it's not superficial because what happens is, if you want to look on the more energetic level, what happens is that this, the kundalini energy in people is being stimulated by the kundalini uh, and frequency of the person in their midst who has a highly activated kundalini. And so what happens is it, it's like a fire. It's like how a flame catches. It, it spreads. And then those people go out from there, 
from that event, it's just like when the people come to the Wake and Aware conference, they all get sort of turned on, so to speak. Like in those old days, they talked about, Timothy Lear said, you know, turn on, tune in. And I would say, you know, tune in, act out, because basically you're not going to tune out anymore. You're going to actually go out and do something with that energy. And that is exactly what's happening. People that go to David Icke, um, you know, when he, he does his presentation seven hours long, I've been there, I've done, I've, I've attended those even before Camelot. And, you know, the people get galvanized. And it does change their life. They go out and do something different when they when they after they leave. Carrie, we want to really thank you for being with us. If there's a last message you'd like to leave our listeners with, um, please take the time to do it, and and uh, we'll let people know that that you're going to be. Actually, I was checking out where you're going to be, um, and you'll be speaking on Saturday, June the second, from 10:45 a.m. to 12:15. And um, at yeah. the, you probably don't know that. I just <laughs> I'm going. Okay, people want to connect with you, and uh, and uh, you know during that period of time, that's it, a good time to do it. Uh, yeah, that's afterwards. a perfect time to speak. People can sleep that want to sleep in will be able to see you. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, I uh, I just I fought for that time actually. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, they wanted to put me on at like 9 a.m., and I was like, there's no way. I can't hardly think straight at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's some uh, people that come in a little later, and they would miss you. So that's good that you got the, yeah. you fought for it. Okay, <laughs> so um, there's a, uh, let's see, oh, my goodness, I'm trying to think if I can get a phone number here. Um, if you need, uh, you know, if you want to pick up tickets for the event, the Conspiracy Con, um, dot com uh, website will go and you can pick up tickets at that point. And if you want to um, connect, I'm thinking phone wise. Oh, uh, let's see. I think I have it in my notes here uh, for phone number. Oh, nine two five. Four four nine sixty eight forty four, and you could probably connect with Brian Hall. Uh, the number is nine two five four four nine sixty eight forty four. I will be here, um, you know, at twelve noon. If you want to connect with me, I'm giving away three tickets to the event. And please be patient while I put you on hold and be able to contact everyone. And uh, Carrie, it's been a joy having you with us. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate being here, and I just want to say that the, also the Conspiracy Con, um, you know, event is listed on my website under conferences, and uh, along with other events I'll be at, uh, actually even in June, and now in Mount Shasta. So I, I'm going to be in Mount Shasta around the 18th of May, uh, so oh, that should be a, a fascinating time as well. And uh, Oh, yes. So, yes, I encourage people to come on down and to go to my website to see where these events are and the days and times and so on. I'm Thank also looking you. to go go to Europe uh, very shortly and, and start a speaking tour in Europe. So if you are listening here, you have some information, you want to help me find a, a venue to speak at, I'm looking at London, Paris, Amsterdam, Rome, and I think Lake Como in Italy uh, to be in the Alps. So, uh, that, Sorry, that's Carrie, we're out of time. We're out okay. of time, hon. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you okay. so much for being with us today. We look forward to meeting you. Okay. Oops. Very good. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs>